In today's episode, we are discussing our last installment of serving special populations as they heal from sexual violence during our first annual sexual violence awareness avocation. Peace and light, family. This is Elegant Granny, your creator and host of the Proactive Eye podcast. Last week, in part three of our first annual sexual violence avocation series, we discussed concerns, needs, and services of five subgroups within the special populations, which were service members and law enforcement officials, sex workers, victims of human trafficking, incarcerated victims, and victims who are diagnosed or considered physically disabled. This week, we have three final subgroups to talk about, as well as a few myths and realities about sexual violence. May is Mental Health Awareness Month, so it is befitting that I talk about this special group that we serve in our community which is the mentally ill or disabled victims. Within this group, there are six types of people that we deal with that I was trained for, so I'm only going to speak about those that I was trained for. They are victims with post-traumatic stress disorder, obsessive-compulsive disorder, depressed victims, victims with schizophrenia, bipolar, and autism. The special concerns for each of these are PTSD or post-traumatic stress disorder is caused by exposure to a traumatic or terrifying event. Victims who suffer from PTSD may have experienced past violence. Obsessive compulsive disorder or OCD involves suffering from recurrent unwanted thoughts or rituals which a person feels they cannot control. Victims may feel embarrassed if they resort to these rituals during the reporting process or while meeting new people in a shelter environment. Depression is characterized by sadness, guilt, irritability, loss of energy, difficulty sleeping, hopelessness, difficulty eating, and suicidal thoughts. People are considered to be clinically depressed when these symptoms last without justification for longer than weeks, months, or years. Victims who suffer from depression may be more apathetic about reporting an act of violence and even find it difficult to identify options or choose to heal. Schizophrenia is a mental illness that can include paranoia, disorganization, and delusions. Victims with schizophrenia may make easy targets for victimization because they do not make credible witnesses. They are also difficult to make consistent emotional connections with and may feel isolated or targeted. Bipolar disorder is a mental illness that involves a cycle of mania and depression. When victims experience mania, they may have an inflated self-esteem, decreased need for sleep, grandiose ideas, 
and excessive involvement in pleasurable activities with a high potential for painful consequences. When victims experience a depressive episode, they may struggle with sadness, hopelessness, lethargy, guilt, or thoughts of suicide. Victims with bipolar may experience difficulty with consistency in response to violence and the outcome they would like to see. They may also self-medicate. Now, autism has a broad range of characteristics, but can include difficulties with social interaction, difficulties with communication, and difficulty adjusting to non-repetitive events or schedules. Victims with autism may become agitated or experience panic in a new setting, such as the emergency room or shelter. Needs and services for these individuals are victims with PTSD or post-traumatic stress disorder are prone to suicidal thoughts, so safety planning should be conducted to assist the victim with identifying healthy coping mechanisms. They should be referred to various hotlines for immediate assistance. When dealing with people with obsessive-compulsive disorder, advocates should be careful to not draw attention to ritualistic behaviors, understanding that may be a coping mechanism for trauma. Because victims who suffer with depression may feel as if they are in a fog, advocates and companions should be patient when explaining options. Victims may want an advocate or companion to make a decision for them but the victim should be encouraged to be empowered and make their own decisions. Referrals to hotlines and safety planning should be done as well. Victims with schizophrenia should be treated with caution due to their paranoia. However, advocates and companions should not make them feel isolated from emotional support. They may need extra assurances that the advocate or companion understands what they are saying and the advocate and companion may need to adjust quickly to changing conversation topics. While it is not healthy to buy into the paranoia, advocates and companions should not argue with victims. Advocates and companions should recognize that victims with bipolar disorder may respond to assistance differently from hour to hour, week to week, or month to month depending upon how quickly a victim cycles. Advocates and companions should exercise compassion and patience with these victims as they have often alienated others in their lives. When dealing with people with autism, advocates and companions should be careful to observe any routines that an autistic victim may have. Loud noises, fast movement, and physical touch can also agitate someone with autism. So advocates should obtain the victim's consent before turning on or off televisions, getting up to go somewhere, or even giving the victim a hug. Here are some questions to ask yourself. If you suffered from any of the above mental illnesses or disabilities, would you want others to know? Why or why not? What emotions would you have revolving around any particular mental illness or disability? How do you think this illness would affect your loved ones? And what would you want others to know about you and or your illness?
and why? Self-harming victims can include those who have eating disorders, who cut or burn themselves, who abuse mind-altering substances, or attempt suicide. These victims often turn to self-harming behaviors that cause physical pain as an outlet or emotional pain. Some victims may utilize self-harm because they feel numb and may want to feel something, even if something is painful. Also, victims who self-harm tend to feel a sense of control over their pain in contrast with the lack of control they felt when someone else inflicted physical or emotional pain on them. Self-harm is an unhealthy coping mechanism. Victims who self-harm may not have disclosed their self-harming behaviors to anyone and may fear that it will be discovered. Victims who self-harm may experience extreme guilt or shame. It could also be a result of self-hate. Victims who self-harm may minimize the self-harming behaviors, making them susceptible to unexpected long-term consequences, such as loss of hair from eating disorders, liver damage, physical scarring, and even death. And victims may fear being institutionalized for mental health evaluations and treatment against their will. Needs and services for self-harming victims are Advocates should emphasize confidentiality, but should also advise the self-harming victim of the circumstances under which we violate confidentiality for their own protection and safety. If an advocate does plan to make a report to law enforcement for the victim's own safety, the victim should be notified if possible. Self-harming victims need extra emotional support and affirmation. They may need tactful education on the results of certain self-harming behaviors. Self-harming victims who do not wish to be institutionalized or have a mental health evaluation should receive safety planning and be advised of alternatives to self-harm, such as the following. Recognize the choices you have now. Ask yourself what you need. Choose to put off self-harm for specific amounts of time until a professional can be contacted. Countdown to relaxation. 10, 9, 8, 7, all the way down to zero. Start meditation exercises. Pay attention to your breathing and the rhythmic emotions of your body. Write in a journal or a diary. Make a list of people you can call for support or connect with. Plan something new and exciting to do with friends. It is important to eat well, exercise, and be kind to oneself. While not a solution in itself, doing all these things contribute to increased mood stability. Any person who is affected by the sexual assault of someone close to them is considered a secondary victim. This includes family members, close friends, and significant others. Although they have not been victimized themselves, these individuals deal with anxiety about their own safety as well as how to best support the primary victim. 
secondary victims may not identify themselves as victims. Therefore, they may be surprised or overwhelmed when they begin to experience some of the same symptoms as the primary victims, such as anger, anxiety, and depression. Secondary victims may feel overwhelmed by the primary victim's emotional or even financial dependence on them. Secondary victims may feel ill-equipped to help the primary victim. They may not know what to say or what to do to help a victim heal. Often, secondary victims in the shelter setting are children, and those children may miss the abusive parent, blame themselves for the breakup, or feel scared about the future. And quite often, secondary victims in the emergency room are parents or caregivers of child victims who may be experiencing anger with the offender, guilt over allowing the child to have time alone with the offender, or frustration with a criminal or civil justice system that they feel are not protecting the child. Many times, parents or caregivers break down emotionally during the exam, and sometimes they disclose that they were once a victim of sexual violence as well. There are special needs and services for secondary victims as well. These victims should be reminded that they are victims and that they may need services as well. Let them know that others in their position often opt to seek counseling to deal with anxiety they are feeling. Advocates and companions should advise secondary victims who express feelings of being overwhelmed that it would be helpful to set limits early and assist the victim in finding additional support so that the secondary victim is not the sole supporter of the primary victim. Advocates and companions may need to spend one-on-one time with child secondary victims in the shelter setting or take them outside of the shelter setting to have fun. Child secondary victims may need to be referred to counseling or repeatedly told that the separation was not their fault. Advocates and companions should split their time and attention between child victims and the parents and caregivers, keeping in mind that while the parent and caregiver is a support for the child, the parent or caregiver often has no support for themselves. The second vic- secondary victims should be assured that they are doing what is best for their child by seeking information and services and that they should focus on all of the good things they are doing to help their child at the moment. Parents and caregivers should be referred to the Sexual Assault Response Program's Parents and Caregivers of Child Survivors Support Group. There are many myths surrounding special populations that we serve as they heal from sexual violence. However, I will only discuss the four top ones that we deal with. Myth. A woman can't rape another woman. The reality is, while the majority of perpetrators of sexual assault are men, the idea that women on women sexual assault does not occur is only a product of gender role stereotypes that encourage the idea that women are never violent. This stereotype can make it less likely that women who were sexually assaulted by another woman will be believed by those around her. 
It can also make a survivor who has believed that women are nonviolent feel disillusioned that she has experienced violence from a woman. Myth. Gay men are sexually promiscuous and are always ready for sex. The reality is men who identify as gay, like all people, have the right to say no to sex at any time and have that respected. Because of the stereotypes that many people have about gay men's sexual availability, however, it may be more difficult for a gay man to convince others that he was assaulted. Myth. Bisexuals are kinky anyway, and sexual assault for them is just rough sex that got out of hand. The reality is, bisexuality reflects a sexual orientation not sexual practices. Bisexuals, like heterosexuals, practice a wide range of sexual behaviors, and for bisexuals, like for heterosexuals, rough sex and sexual assault are two very different things. Because of stereotypes about bisexuals, they too may have difficulty being believed about a sexual assault. Myth. When a woman wears provocative clothing, she is asking for it. The reality is, the idea that women entice men to rape them or that they really want it is also not true. No person deserves to be raped, and no person acts to be raped or wants it. This myth again shows the extent to which sexual assault is sexualized in our society. Women may experience a sexual assault no matter what they are wearing, and what the victim was wearing in no way makes him or her responsible for the assault. Hopefully, I have said something in this episode to help you be mindful of things experienced by victims of sexual violence and sexual assaults. For those wanting to be supportive of these individuals, we appreciate your compassion and concern. And we ask you go forward learning how to support victims of abuse, that you do so mindfully and with much patience while they are on their road to recovery. You are a great asset in this world, and it is very important after a life of abuse to see a physician and a mental health specialist to help you excel as you recover. Let us know in the voice message on the Anchor app or by email at proactiveeye at gmail.com, some things you do to help yourself recover. We would love to get your perspective on why these things are valuable to you. This concludes our first annual sexual violence awareness avocation. All links to corresponding episodes will be provided in the show notes. It has been a pleasure sharing with you today. All links to connect with us and free resources are in the show notes. Feel free to download episodes and take advantage of the free resources provided. You can visit our blog at bit.ly forward slash PE podcast blog. That's B-I-T dot L-Y forward slash PE podcast blog. You can also connect with us on Instagram and Twitter the handle is at Proactive Eye, and on Facebook, 
The handle is at Proactive Eye Podcast. This has been your host, Elegant Granny. Thank you for your support and visit us again. And remember, healing is a continuous process, not a one-shot deal. Much love, peace, light, and healing vibes, family. Stay tuned next week as we begin discussions on the dynamics of foster care and teen pregnancy.